0: 8474 it's our privilege to have with us two representatives from reformed university fellowship reformed university fellowship or ruf for short is the uh, university outreach of the presbyterian church in america we're glad to have john pearson who's a recruiting director or something i'm not sure of the title but for ruf uh, in this area and we're particularly glad to have uh, matt trexler who will bring the word to us this morning. Matt serves as campus minister at uh, University of California, Los Angeles. He is a graduate of uh, Covenant Seminary in St. Louis and then after graduation he served as uh, working with the young people in the Chinese Gospel Church there in St. Louis. So we're glad to uh, welcome Matt to bring us a message from God's word this morning. Matt, welcome. Good morning, it's good to be with you. You know, there's a kind of tired that a good night's sleep can take care of. And there's another kind of tired that takes a whole lot more. And we're gonna look this morning at the life of Elijah. And we're gonna look at this theme of discouragement in ministry. When you actually come to the point in ministry where it seems as though little to nothing by your standards has been accomplished. What do you do in those moments What does the Lord say to us? Uh, I'm going to read, this is from 1 Kings 19. Um, I'm going to read a section from this. This is right after the fiery showdown at Mount Carmel. This is 1 Kings 19 starting in verse 1. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel, forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. Let's pray. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, I come before you, we come before you now. We need you. We need your Holy Spirit. Uh, Lord, will you make our hearts good soil? Will you give us ears to hear? Lord, I pray that I can stand behind the cross, that, Lord, I may disappear and that uh, Jesus Christ is proclaimed and that Jesus Christ is remembered, and that we leave here worshiping and loving you more. Please proclaim the name of your Son. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, just last year I was driving back to St. Louis from South Carolina. I was in seminary there at Covenant. I had just been visiting my parents in South Carolina where I was from and I was driving back to St. Louis and I saw the arch the St. Louis arch in the distance and emotionally I just broke down because I did not want to go back. Uh, I had just finished what had been for me the most exhausting year. i had been doing full-time seminary and full-time ministry Uh, I was part of a ministry where I had poured all this effort into it, I was teaching three times a week, I had just finished leading a missions trip, I had done all these things with these students and it seemed like virtually nothing was happening. I had five students in the hospital for suicide attempt at that time, uh, I had all the graduation things that were coming upon me for this final year in seminary. And I remember saying to the Lord as I was in the car, I said, Lord, it really does feel like the darkness is winning. And it feels like even though I have poured all of this effort into this over and over and over again, it feels like nothing is happening. Where are you? Lord? Why did you even bring me here? I think in this passage, we see Elijah saying something similar on a much larger scale. And in those moments where it feels as though the darkness is winning, where it feels as though your ministry, the ministry and the work that you've been doing, has resulted in little to no fruit, how do you, what does the Lord say to us in those moments? What does he say to us what does he do for us you know how sometimes I hear his voice in those moments I hear those his voice as just keep doing it just like put your nose to the grindstone right buck up try harder right like get your head in the game but what is it that he comes and he does for Elijah and I want you to see three things and I'm gonna be brief but he gives Elijah rest he invites him to godly complaint and he gives him the help of another He gives us rest, he invites us to godly complaint, and he gives us the help of another. First, the Lord gives us rest. Elijah is fleeing from Jezebel at this moment, right after the fiery showdown at Mount Carmel, and he runs what is basically a two-thirds marathon, right, to escape her. And he basically, he now ends in Beersheba, and he's reached the point of utter and total physical and spiritual exhaustion. And he collapses under this tree, and he asks for a divine euthanasia. Lord, just take my life. What is it that's going on in that moment? Uh, one of my pastors, actually the pastor I got to sit under in South Carolina was Sinclair Ferguson. Um, and Dr. Ferguson did the series on Elijah and, he, and I remember it so vividly. He said, you know, this is my theory about Elijah. And he did in that cool Scottish accent. Well, this is my theory about Elijah, right? Um, and he said, Elijah was suffering from failed expectations. Uh, in this moment, that Elijah really did believe that he was going to be the prophet of Israel that would lead the revival, that, the, that Israelites would come back in droves to the Lord. And there's a sense in which Elijah now has come to the point where he's not, just, he's not just wanting to die because he's run a marathon. It's like, oh, I've run a marathon. I'm so tired, Lord. I want to die. It's not what it's saying. There's something deeper going on in the soul of Elijah. There's a deeper discouragement there. That Elijah has said, I have done all of this. I have been very jealous for the Lord of hosts. I have poured out my soul to these Israelites, and nothing has been accomplished. Nothing has happened. My expectations for how this was going to go didn't end up going the way I thought it would. And now I feel like a spiritual failure. I am no better than my father's physically exhausted, emotionally drained, utterly demotivated, and now spiritually ashamed. You know, that's a really dark place to be. That's a place where it it feels like Psalm 23 doesn't seem to work anymore. Right? That's, That's a place where you really do feel in your soul, am I even called to ministry? Should I even be here? And I think Elijah was going through this sense in which I have done this over and over and over again and nothing has been accomplished. And that is actually a far worse enemy than Jezebel because his forces of spiritual darkness are getting down into his soul. So what does the Lord do for him in this moment? He puts him to sleep and he gives him food. And the angel of the Lord comes and says, the journey is too great for you. You need to eat and you need to sleep. And there's a sense in which he kind of does what Psalm 23 says. He makes him lie down. He makes him lie down. And the Lord is not just a physician of the soul. He's a physician of the body as well. And there's those moments when you are so physically exhausted that spiritual exhaustion comes right after it. I literally just told my UCLA students because they're about to go into their quarterfinals. It's like... It's good for us to examine to, uh, ourselves, but please don't judge your spiritual condition during finals week, right? Like when your body's being held together by caffeine like, and you have no sleep, that's not a good time to like, judge the eternal state of your soul. Like Just say, you know, like, you need to like, sleep a little bit, Like you need to make sure that you're actually getting rest, that you're actually getting sleep, uh, because rest is so good for our spiritual souls. And in those moments of discouragement, we actually need rest, and rest is pictured as an act of faith is saying i trust in the lord i i'm giving up control i rest in christ i rest in the work that he has done for me i am not the christ and you know my, my professor in seminary, Jay Sklar, I don't know if you know, know who that is, uh, he wrote a commentary on Leviticus recently. He's the dean of faculty. He's a very, he's a very accomplished scholar. And he was, I was talking to him at one point about all the stress that was going on at the time that year for me at Covenant Seminary. And he said, you know what, Matt? He was like, every one day a week I sleep in. And when I'm on vacation, I sleep in every single day. And he's like, you know what happens? I feel 10 years younger. And you know what it teaches me? It teaches me I'm not the Christ. It's not all dependent on me. It doesn't all depend on me. I need to rest because when we live our lives going 95 miles an hour all the time, like if you did that to a car, it's going to break down. There's times where you have to stop and you have to be replenished and you have to slow down because we're so addicted to adrenaline. We're always going all the time. I wanna be the campus minister that like knows it all and like I'm always everywhere for every single person and I know all the answers when people ask them and I'm able to fix everybody's problems I want to be a a everywhere for all know it all fix it all pastor you know what I want to be in those moments I want to be omnipresent I want to be omniscient I want to be omnipotent I want to be God and I'm not I'm finite And it's not a sin to be finite and to have limitations and to slow down and to rest. And so it actually may be a very spiritual thing to actually ask, am I taking physical rest? Am I actually sleeping? Am I actually trusting the Lord in the moments of my exhaustion to realize that he's in control and that I can actually rest but does not just give Elijah rest no that's the first part but that's not all that the Lord is gonna do for him he also invites him to godly complaint he leads him to Mount Horeb the Mount of God and he asks this question he says Elijah what are you doing here and here's the here's the point where I wish the Bible came with an audio track like it's like I want to know how did he say it how did the Lord say this what are you doing here Elijah what are you doing here Elijah What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? Like, what was the tone? What was the emphasis? How did he say it? And that's actually, I'm I'm interested in this because I think that it matters because however the the Lord said it, it invites Elijah to actually get out what it is that he's saying. Because the Lord knows why Elijah is there at Mount Horeb. He knows that, but yet he still asks, Elijah, what are you doing here? And I think he asked it very tenderly. Elijah what are you doing here? Because he's asking a sense of, Elijah, tell me what's going on in your soul. You got to get it out. Tell me what's going on. What's bothering you? And Elijah says, I've been so jealous for you. I've done everything right. And I'm the only faithful one. I'm the only faithful one in Israel. And the Israelites now, they're coming after me and they're throwing down the altars and they're killing the prophets with the sword. And they're after me to take away my life. You know, what's fascinating in that moment is if you read this, it's actually not totally true. Elijah's actually not saying exactly what happened. If you go back and read it, I don't think it was the Israelites that were chasing him down and killing the prophets. I thought that was Jezebel. But you know what he's doing in his moment of discouragement? He's catastrophizing. You know, he's he's basically saying, like, he's taking a dark paintbrush and he's painting dark things as darkly as possible, which is what we do in those moments of discouragement. You come into a church, you go into a youth group, whatever it may be, and you, you preach a bad sermon. And then you're like, the ministry's over. Like, you know, like, the, like it's over, nothing's going to happen. Or you get like the grade back in your Hebrew exegetical paper and it's like, oh, I got a D. I must not be called to ministry, right? Like, but there's a sense in which it's all over. Or you can actually get to the point in certain times of ministry where it's two years and you've seen no church growth. And there's, and there's missionaries who are on the field and there's, you look at it and you're like, there's nothing happening. I don't know if I was ever called here. There's moments where in moments of discouragement, of real discouragement, the enemy can come in and those forces of spiritual darkness can begin to creep in and say, you see, you shouldn't even be here in the first place. There's nothing going on. You're the only faithful one and nothing's happening. And that's exactly what Elijah is feeling and the Lord needs him to draw that out, to actually speak those things. Because he actually does it a second time. The Lord invites him to the edge of the mountain and and he sees the wind and the fire and the earthquake. But it's the thin whisper. The Hebrew has the idea of uh, silence made audible that kind of draws out Elijah to speak it again. And what is the Lord doing here? Why does he ask him a second time? And why does Elijah repeat word for word a second time what's going on? Because he kind of has to, sorry to be crude, vomit it out twice. Like he kind of has to get it out twice. Like, this is what's going on in my soul. And the Lord's saying, hey, tell me what's going on. Speak it. It's God's kindness that leads him to do this. When I was a youth pastor, I uh, took some kids to Pinecrest Camp in Missouri. And there was a student there who we were walking around the the lake that was there. And he had told me, he's like, you know, I haven't prayed to the Lord since fourth grade. I was like, Mark, why? You know, what's that? He's like, well, that's when my mom died. Um and I know God's a monster. I know God took her away. And I don't want to pray to God. And I haven't prayed to him since. And it it was definitely the Holy Spirit in that moment in which I said I understand. I really do. I I used to think of the Lord the exact same way. And you know, there was a moment when I was reading Luke 15 and and I just saw Jesus tell this parable about the father and I'm like, "Man, that's the father really is generous." And the Father really is joyful. And I think he swims in joy like I swim in self-doubt. And when I read the Gospels and I see the life of Jesus, the one who walks off those pages to meet us, I see someone so good and so kind who weeps with people who are really hurting and really suffering. I don't remember exactly how I said, it, whatever it may be, but there was a sense in which I wanted to communicate to that student the kindness of God. And do you know what happened in that moment? He sat down and he. And he prayed one of the most honest prayers I ever heard. He said, God, where have you been? Why did you do this to me? If you're so good, why did you take away my mom? How could he say that? How could he get what's been deep and bitter in his soul for so long? What drew that out? The kindness of God. And it's the same thing that the Lord does here for Elijah. Elijah, you can be sick in my presence. Get it all out. Because if we're going to be energized for the long-term service of ministry, we've got to learn to speak to our soul instead of listen to it. Soul, why are you downcast within me? Hope in God. And the Lord wants us to voice what it is that's going on in our hearts. He's not going to thrash us. Saint Sinclair Ferguson, my pastor, said we're too refined with God. We're too refined with God. He's not domesticated. He can take it, He's God. He wants us to get out what it is that's really going on in our soul, what the discouragement really is. And then finally we see, and I didn't read this part, but uh, this is verses 15 to 16. The Lord said to him, "'Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, "'and when you arrive, "'you shall anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. "'And Jehu the son of Nimshi, "'you shall anoint to be king over Israel. "'And Elisha the son of Shaphat of abot Mahola, "'you shall anoint to be prophet in your place.'" And the one who escapes from the sword of shall put Jehu to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Do you know what Eli- the Lord is doing for Elijah in this moment? He's saying, Elijah, I know you're discouraged, but I still have a mission for you. But it's not going to be this demolition expert thing you've been doing where you've rained down fire on the prophets of Baal. Yeah, you've had that type of ministry. But now I'm actually calling you to a very different type of ministry. I want you to go and I want you to disciple Elisha to take your place. And it's not going to be the ministry that you had before. It won't be the wind and the fire and the earthquake type of ministry. It'll be the ministry of a thin, small whisper. It'll be the ministry of slow faithfulness, of ordinary faithfulness. It will look like discipling one person to take your place. And what the Lord is doing in that moment is he's teaching Elijah that, Elijah, it doesn't all depend on you, that my ministry will go on even after you, and my servants are everywhere. Elijah, it doesn't all depend on you. You're one small tile in the great mosaic of my salvation project, and I'm going to keep going on, and the kingdom is going to keep going on, and my work will keep going on in stages, and you just need to be faithful. Go back and return to the mission I called you to. And I want you to disciple Elijah to take your place. Oh, and by the way, you're not the only faithful one. There's 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. And do you know what that means, Elijah? I'm at work even when you think that I'm not. And I'm at work in ways that you can't see. And there is fruit and there is ministry that's happening, even though it may not be visible to you. And I think that is actually a deep, deep encouragement. And I needed to hear that very passage spoken into my life when I was in that moment of almost near burnout. That's what it felt like. And then to just pray the Lord and say, okay, Lord, I'm going to be faithful in this ministry and I'm going to keep plowing away in whatever it may be and I'm going to trust that you're going to be at work. And then to see kids get baptized for the first time and to watch as the Lord would work in these students' lives to bring them to a deeper understanding of the gospel. You say, the Lord really is at work. He really, really is. Um, I will conclude with this. Elijah is out Mount Horeb. And if you know Mount Horeb, it's also the place where Moses was, when Moses met God. There's a fascinating sense, though, in which both Moses and Elijah are on the same mountain again, but this time in the New Testament, right? The Mount of Transfiguration. And what do you mean what they're doing, right? They're standing behind Christ. Do you know what that means? It's like their ministry pointed the way to the one who was to come. And I think there's actually some deep encouragement there in the sense that your ministry, even if you're greatly discouraged, even if it may seem small, even if it may not seem successful externally by any worldly standard, your ministry, if it is faithful to Christ, will not have been vain. It will have pointed to the one who was to come, and all ministry will rebound in glory to our Savior. I think it was Adoniram Judson, who uh, I think it was. I think it was Adoniram Judson who was in Burma, who was writing in the diaries where he said, "I really do feel as though nothing has been accomplished, but maybe my maybe my mission was to be a seed that fell to the ground and died, so that God's mission could go forward, which we know is what, exactly what happened." And it may be that our, our ministry may look very small, but it may prepare the way for another, or it may prepare the way, it definitely prepares the way for the kingdom that is advancing. The Lord is good, and our ministry is never in vain. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this word to us this morning. Uh, Father, I pray that you take a very flawed sermon, and Lord, I pray that you take your word and that you plant it into our hearts, and that, Lord, you make our hearts good soil, and that, Father, you will make us faithful in the ministry you have called us to, that we may continue to serve you in whatever way uh, that you have gifted us here in this place. Lord, I pray that if there's any of those who are discouraged, who may feel tired, who may feel burnt out, Lord, I pray that you will encourage their hearts today. And Lord, I pray that, you will invite, that you'll give them rest and invite them to godly complaint And Lord, you will see, you remind them, Father, that your work continues to go on even after them. Lord, I pray that you will uh, proclaim the name of your Son through every person here. And Father, I pray that you give us faithful ministries to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Copyright 2017, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved.